the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, it is Always Right Radio online at alwaysright.us. Thanks for being with us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on AM 1420, The Answer. It is a Friday, but it is far from a free-for-all. We are jam-packed today, as you can imagine, as we are now just a few days away from deciding which representatives uh, in the Republican Party will go on and challenge the Democrats in the general election in November in an attempt to save this republic and literally pull it back from the brink of full-on disaster. The decisions we make on Tuesday will have long-lasting effects. And so we're going to talk a lot about that stuff today. Coming up on the program, just to run it down for you, in a half an hour, we're going to talk to a congressional candidate, Charlie Gaddis, will be joining us. He is running against Max Miller and Jonah Schultz. We have had uh, Jonah on the program many times. We have had Charlie on once. We have had on uh, Max Miller uh, zero times since the actual uh, official campaign season began. Uh, we talked to Max last summer, and that was about it. He apparently doesn't need to talk to anybody because he's coasting along at a very, very high percentage in any polling for District Number 7. But Jonah's been fighting hard, and now Charlie Gaddis wants to get another bite at the apple before we vote on Tuesday, so we're going to talk to him at 9.35. Then at 10.10, dun 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 yeah, we get J.D. back on the air. J.D. Vance is coming back for more. The interview I did with J.D. Vance last week after his Trump endorsement, I think two days after his Trump endorsement, um, it was um, it, it it got some attention. As a matter of fact, the the plain dealer decided that that interview was worthy enough of coverage in their paper. And on Cleveland.com, I got a phone call the day after I did the interview with J.D. Vance from uh, Andrew Tobias, who's a reporter at The Plain Dealer, who did a huge piece on the Trump endorsement of Vance and what it means to this uh, race. And um, he's, he was very, very 
um, how do I want to say it? He was very complimentary of me because I went after JD and asked about all of those tough things that, you know, need to be asked about. Uh, typically, the reporter told me, conservatives interviewing people like JD Vance, who has a Trump endorsement, are going to go lightly. Uh, he said, but, uh, I definitely couldn't have asked him those questions because then it would have looked like a political hit piece. And so I did ask those questions, and I asked hard ones, and I followed up, and I t- didn't take his answers at face value, and I said, what about this? Um, that was about as aggressive as I think I needed to be. Uh, I'm impressed that J.D. Vance is willing to come back on, despite some aggressive questions. As a matter of fact, he texted me, a little you know, uh, off-air stuff here. J.D. texted me after it and uh, thanked me for the interview and told me that he really hopes to make a believer of me. And of, of of our listeners, and I thought that was that was big time. I thought that was big time. He was basically saying, "I know you don't necessarily trust me based on all of these things, but I hope to make her make a believer out of you." He didn't have to do that. I'm one guy. He's doing interviews all over the state, right? He's doing interviews all over the state. He's trying to get the Senate seat. I'm one guy, and you know he continues to come back on to talk to this audience and to talk to me and to answer the tough questions, and I respect that. I really do. So uh, J.D.'s going to come on at 1010. I'm going to ask him about some other tough things, but then I'm also going to do the same thing I did for Josh Mandel yesterday and then ask him about, about positions on policies, about priorities if he make it, makes it to Washington in the United States Senate. So it's going to be a fair interview. There will be some tough stuff. There will be some policy stuff, too, but you're going to want to hear it uh, at 1010. This I promise you. At 1035, Christina Hagen, who is a member of the Ohio Board of Elections, will join me. She will uh, not be able to talk about the Blystone case as the big hat has to appear before the full Board of uh, 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 Elections on, or excuse me, the Elections Commission. I guess you'd probably clarify this. The Elections Commission on Monday. Uh, he's got to uh, answer to all of uh, all of the questions of all of the campaign finance violations that he said he didn't know anything about because he's just a farmer. He doesn't know anything about all that campaign finance and stuff. Need to be an accountant to be able to run for office in this country. And the answer is no, you don't. You just need to, I don't know, hire one. If you're getting all of these campaign contributions in, put some of them to use and hire an accountant to track it all. That's kind of what running a a campaign is all about. If you can't run a simple campaign with a few hundred thousand dollars, how are you going to run a state with a budget around $70 billion? How are you going to handle that? you just a farmer. So the big hat is making a show, and uh, it's an embarrassing one. And the sad thing is it's roped a lot of people in with it. Uh, But we're going to talk about, uh, we we can't talk much about that, rather, because there is still a lawsuit against the board, or excuse me, the Elections Commission that has been filed by the hat. And uh, Christina won't be able to talk about that, but she will be able to talk about the disinformation campaign being put forth by the federal government now, the governance board. We'll talk about that with her. And and she will talk about the elections in so far as the uh, endorsement questions that so many of us have about how President Trump is deciding who he supports. And then, at 11.10, we're going to talk to John Adams. John Adams is running for Secretary of State against Frank LaRose. He did not get Donald Trump's endorsement. Frank LaRose did, despite Frank LaRose being no fan, nor, and in fact, a very much a vocal critic of Donald Trump. Two Ohio Republicans got endorsements from Donald Trump who are highly critical of Donald Trump. One is J.D., and the other one is Frank LaRose. Uh, John Adams is going to talk about that. And he's going to talk about um, the state of security, if you will, in Amer- in Ohio's elections. 
Uh, Frank LaRose came on with me two weeks ago and told me that, yeah, the uh, elections are secure. Everything was great. We do a hand count after we do the uh, computer results. Uh, he said, uh, everything is on the up and up. We strengthened security. We've cleared the roles of, of non-voters and dead voters and people have moved and so forth, which is all great and well and good. But there are still many, many questions, including and especially about Ohio's um, uh, computers, the machines on which we vote, the Dominion-owned computers that do indeed raise a lot of questions. So uh, John Adams has raised those questions for uh, Frank LaRose. And we're going to talk to John Adams about those, in his opinion, coming up at 1110. So there you have it. Gaddis, Vance, Hagen, and Adams all going to be on the program today. If you're wondering about the rest of the triumvirate of top candidates in the um, Ohio Senate race, in the Republican primary, that would be Mike Gibbons. He's Monday. So we had Mandel yesterday, Vance today, Gibbons Monday. We're giving all of them a crack. And yes, Matt Dolan, you are welcome as well. All you got to do is call. We'll give you that equal shot, too. All you got to do is call. Uh, you know how to reach me. You know how to reach Marcy. And uh, and we'll get you up and on the radio, too, if you want to do it. Jane Timken, I think, uh, pretty much headed for the hills uh, once uh, they sent this cease and desist order from the president's office. <laughs> when you get an order from President Trump's attorney saying cease and desist using his name and likeness in your ads as if to say that he is endorsing you, uh, then you pretty much know it is all over. So for Jane Timken, it is all over. And... Uh, That's why we are where we are. Now, before we get into the news of the day, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and rise. Stand and face a flag near you. If you have one, put your hand there on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you are a raging leftist who believes in this disinformation governance office, headed up by a chief purveyor of disinformation in an attempt to stifle and silence the voice of the people, well, then you don't have any idea what this flag means anyway. So you are exempt from having to pledge allegiance to it. Go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So let's get into this just a little bit now. The Biden Disinformation Governance Office. That's what they're calling this thing. And it is an attempt by the Department of Homeland Security to dispel disinformation, to stop it from being spread in defense of the the security of this country, according to Alejandro Mayorkas and his boss, Joe Brandon, who still doesn't know where he is. But let's focus on the disinformation governance board that has been put into effect. By the way, coincidentally, I don't know, you tell me, right after free speech gets a big W, a big check mark in the win column, with Elon Musk buying Twitter and telling. By the way, you know what he said? He said conservatives shouldn't be, like, thrilled here. This isn't going to be a conservative playground. It's going to be it's going to tick off people on the far left and the far right equally because we're going to allow free speech for everybody. And I thought to myself, well, that's not going to tick off conservatives. That's all we've ever wanted. Hold people accountable for obvious uh um you know attempts to foment hatred or to organize uh uh riots and 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 terror acts and these kinds of things. We've never wanted that. It's all about the law. What we do want is an opportunity to respond to people who say things that we believe to be observably false. But at any rate, as Elon Musk says, we're going to bring free speech to Twitter. 
Here comes the Biden administration saying we are going to clamp down on that free speech on Twitter and everywhere else with the governance, or excuse me, disinformation governance board. It's going to be headed up by a woman named Nina Jankowitz, who was a disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center and an advisor to the Ukraine Foreign Ministry as a part of the Fulbright Public Policy Fellowship. She confirmed that, yes, she will be heading up the disinformation campaign. This, our disinformation board, rather, this, despite a host of Republicans pointing out the obvious, how can you put a woman who so flagrantly pushed disinformation out into the public square when the Hunter Biden laptop was found and reported on and corroborated by numerous eyewitnesses by the New York Post back in the weeks leading up to the election? How can this person, a purveyor of disinformation, actually be the chair or the secretary of the uh, governance board, this this disinformation governance board? Republican Senator Ron Johnson, yesterday, no, not yesterday, Wednesday, sent a letter to DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas demanding a list of answers before this disinformation governance board uh, and Nina Jankowitz can take effect. The uh, letter, in, in the letter, Johnson points out that Jankowitz attempted to discredit the Hunter Biden laptop story weeks before the election, changing the course of the election and of, of history, quite frankly, now being in charge of that board. He said she is a beacon of misinformation online and mentioned that she has published multiple tweets furthering the false media narrative about the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, both far-left Washington Post and far-left New York Times noted and agreed on the authenticity of Hunter Biden's laptop in March last month, more than a year after the Daily Caller first verified it in October of 2020, again, when it could have made a big difference in the election. The Daily Caller obtained a full copy of Hunter Biden's alleged laptop from former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani and had the emails forensically verified as real. Just days before the Daily Caller verified the authenticity, Jankowitz tweeted about the laptop, calling it a Russian influence op. During the second presidential debate between Trump and Brandon, Jankowitz sent out a tweet in which she said that Biden cited 50 former NATSEC officials and five former CIA heads that believe the laptop is Russian influence op. In a tweet from December of 2017, Jankowitz also claimed that the Steele dossier, which has been totally discredited, including by the agency uh, uh, that was tasked with verifying it or disproving it, and that would be the Mueller investigation. She claimed that the Steele dossier was funded by Republicans. She went online and made these claims. Christopher Steele, the author, uh, dossier's author, was never funded by the Republicans. The Washington Post reported that Mark Elias, a a lawyer for the Clinton campaign and the DNC, and his firm, Perkins Coie, hired Fusion GPS to investigate Donald Trump, something that Jankowitz failed to, to mention. So, again, what we're talking about here is a woman who is just a fountain of disinformation being put in charge of the Disinformation Governance Board that has been created by President Brandon through Alejandro Mayorkas at the Department of Homeland Secretary. Now, if you're wondering how in the world does that happen, how does that work, 
Well, it's a good question. It's a really good question. And we know the answer. They don't want disinformation. They want their information. That's what they want. It's not about stopping disinformation. It's about making sure that their information is substituted for whatever other information is out there. Now, yesterday, this actually worked out pretty well, timing-wise, because Mayorkas was still being grilled by uh, House members yesterday in a committee hearing about uh, national security. And since the disinformation governance board will be overseen by the Department of Homeland Security and Mayorkas, it was a perfect opportunity for Congressman Jim Jordan, ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, of course, and our 4th Congressional District Representative, to ask Mayorkas some questions, not just about the border this time, but about this disinformation board of governance that has been created by the Brandon administration and overseen by a woman who literally lied about the Hunter Biden laptop to protect candidate Biden so that he would get into the White House. This is Jim Jordan. Mr. Secretary, uh, yesterday you announced the formation of Disinformation Governance Board at DHS. You put out a bulletin two months ago, a big fancy bulletin here, red, white, and blue. You said that misleading narratives, mis- this and malinformation, MDM as you call it, misleading narratives undermine the trust in government. I was just wondering, uh, when the head of the CDC, Ms. Walensky, said that the vaccinated can't get the virus, did that undermine trust in government? Um, when the highest paid official in our government, the smartest man on the planet, Dr. Fauci, when he said the virus didn't come from a lab, did that undermine trust in government? And will that be something that this governing board will look at? How about, how about this one? How about when 51 former intel officials told us that the Hunter Biden story was had all the earmarks of Russian misinformation. Will that be something that this governance board that you just formed, will you be looking into that? Uh, uh, Congressman, um, the disinformation board uh, addresses a disinformation that imperils the safety um, uh, and security uh, of our homeland. And one of the primary areas that we are focused on is the dissemination of disinformation and its potential connection. But that's not what your bulletin talked about. Uh, the gentleman's time COVID. The gentleman's time has expired. The wit- I am permitting the witness to answer the question. But the gentleman can say nothing now. It's no, witnesses uh, uh, privilege to answer the gentleman's question. Yeah. And it's, uh, your answer. and it's connectivity to violence. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So, in other words, he had no answer. And what he does say is very, very deafening, quite frankly, because he never, ever, ever includes a definition of what is disinformation. What is misinformation? What is malinformation? Who gets to decide? Because if your head of the disinformation governance board has been proven to be a purveyor of said disinformation, then how can we take anything that that governance board decides is disinformation and thus worthy of being stricken from public discussion? How, how can we have any faith whatsoever that, that it truly was disinformation? This is what the Brandon administration brings us. It is impossible to defend. Putting somebody again, it's it's putting you know the 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 wolf in the hen house, if you will. It is an absolute 
embarrassment to put somebody who is a purveyor of disinformation who literally put American security at risk by hiding something that was provably uh, uh, accurate, uh, prov- provably accurate and true, talking about the verification of the Hunter Biden laptop, and it led to the election of Joe Brandon. It led to the election of somebody who is putting our security in jeopardy every single day. And he wants to talk about how this is about homeland security. Unbelievable. Okay, 929. Let me squeeze one in here from Joe and Parma before the bottom of the hour. Hey, Joe, go ahead. Hey, Bob. When you talk to J.D. Vance, I'd be very interested to know about if he's pro-life or not. And then also... Uh, who is that Max guy running for Congress? I've never heard of him before. Max Biller. He's, uh, he used to be an aide in President Trump's White House. He has the Trump endorsement uh, for that seat in District oh. 7. Oh, okay, really? Okay. Yeah, President Trump endorsed him, I think, before most people knew who he was or what he was about. But he's been running. He was the reason, and thanks for the call, he was the reason why President Trump came to Lorain County and the Wellington rally last summer. That was specifically a Max Miller rally. Now, he did have Jim Jordan come up and a bunch of other Republicans, but it was very specifically uh, Max for Max Miller. The backdrop, when I got my picture, picture taken with President Trump, and with Max, uh, was a pro-Max backdrop. It wasn't a Trump backdrop. So, uh, yeah, he's got the Trump endorsement, and Jonas Schultz has been fighting very hard uh, to gain some ground against him in that race, and so has Charlie Gaddis, who's going to be joining me here after the bottom of the hour news. It's 9.30. It is time for news. Stay here. Always write radio on AM 1420, The Answer. is always left. Tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 936. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer. Always right radio online at alwaysright.us. And uh, I was just checking the uh, the news feed, and my goodness, uh, we've got a lot of really important things that we need to discuss this morning in addition to what's going on, of course, in these um, primary elections. What did Joe Biden know uh, about Hunter Biden? The stonewalling needs to end. There is an article you want to read there that's on always right, right, uh, dot, dot us right now, as well as a, another piece on the Ministry of Truth that I just spent 10 to 15 minutes discussing with you. This is exactly what the founders had in mind, right? When they created uh, the First Amendment, wrote the First Amendment, and freedom of speech and expression and so forth, uh, sure, that's what they, they meant. They meant that we needed a, a federal government oversight board to limit what you can say freely, to decide what they believe to be information versus disinformation, and it can be completely subjective as far as they are concerned. They get to make that call unbelievable. They won't even pay lip service to free speech now. They are openly calling for a crackdown on what people say and whether or not those people can be heard. By the way, in another story you'll see at alwaysright.us right now, President Trump has finally returned to social media after being banned by Twitter, banned by Facebook in another crackdown on free speech. President Trump is not banned by Truth Social. Why? Because it's the social network that he backed uh, and he helped fund. Uh, President Trump returned yesterday with his very first truth. They call them truths, like tweets, on Truth Social. And it was uh, it was three words. I'm back, 
Kofefe. <laughs> and literally, he, he went ahead and used the Kofefe line as a hashtag, of course, that uh, cracked so many people up when he tweeted such a nonsense word uh, back early one morning when he was still the president. So I'm back. Hashtag Kofefe uh, is what President Trump said. If you are not on Truth Social yet, get there. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, you can do it that way. Uh, if you do not and you're waiting because you use Android, that should be, according to Devin Nunes, who's on the board of, of Truth Social, within a month. If you are there, find me and follow me at Always Write WHK. We can connect that way on Truth Social. Always Write WHK. All right, let's uh, go back into the primary fight now, and let's talk uh, about the 7th Congressional District race. We just had a caller ask me who Max is because he didn't even know anything about Max Miller, and that might be because he's not really doing a whole lot of campaigning. A couple of people who are doing campaigning, uh, Jonah Schultz, he's in that race, as is Charlie Gaddis, who joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. To talk about that race now, just uh, what, technically three days away, if you don't count today, uh, four days if you do, from election day hey charlie good morning how are you hey good morning bob thanks for having me on four days away you get nervous yet it's getting tight for sure that definitely a tough race how do you feel about the race as you sit here now you've uh you've really stepped up your campaign advertising i've noticed it on this show and i've noticed it on this station uh so you're you're really trying to get the word out um you know, I just had a caller who say they don't even know who Max Miller is, who's the front runner in this thing, at least according to the polls, because he's not being very aggressive in his campaign. I almost think Max thinks, because we've invited, invited him on the show and we can never seem to make it work out. I almost feel like he doesn't think that there's much of a challenge here from anybody, including you. How do you respond to that? Well, you know, to be honest, Bob, I think he's the 800-pound gorilla in the race. Um, you know, I think he's even outspending our senators when it comes to some of the advertising that he's doing. Um, you know, throw on top of the fact that uh, President Trump came out. And I think in, in a way, President Trump kind of did a disservice to Northeast Ohio. You know, every congressional district has about 700,000 Americans. About half of those are conservatives. And it's hard to believe that um, with 350,000 uh, Americans and very talented, there's a lot of talented people here in Northeast Ohio, that, you know, he selected a basically a, a Washington bureaucrat who's, you know, it's, it's hard to know whether or not he can budget or read financials or, or even shave as far as that goes to, uh, to kind of back. Because we have a lot of talent here in Northeast Ohio, and I think he could have picked a better option for us to, get behind you know whether that's me or, or somebody else that you've met in northeast ohio there's a lot of talent up here um tell me a little more why you say what you just said uh charlie about you know you say you don't know if you can budget you don't know if you can do this you said you don't even know if you can shave for that matter um <laughs> uh he uh, i mean just just looking at the 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 obvious uh uh bio biographical points that he lists you know he served in the united states marine corps he was obviously on president trump's white house staff as a senior advisor to the president one would think that you don't get into the white house unless you can do a few things right well, it's hard to say, right? I mean, when it, you know, President President Trump has done some, a lot of great policies, and he's made some bad talent selections. And I think when it comes to, you know, what's right for the 7th District, I, I think he, he perhaps didn't, didn't select the best option for us. And that's, of course, why I'm running. That's why Jonah's running. 
um, because we think we bring something, you know, um, something meaningful to the race. I mean, in my case, I got 35 years of business experience. You know, I'm a certified public accountant, a CMA. Um, I am a creative problem solver, and I've come up with a lot of um, unique policies to turn this country around. And one of those things I was hoping to talk to about was that minimum benefit concept. Tell us, t- please do that right now. I was going to ask okay. you to sep- I was going to ask you to separate yourself anyway from uh, from Max and Jonah. What makes you different? What makes you uh, more more suited for this? So go ahead and tell me about that. Yeah. So if we if we take a look at kind of my platform in general, I I do a lot of kind of out of the box creative solutions, and one of those ones comes to um, entitlements. Okay. So the the biggest problem we have with running our huge deficits is we have a huge exploding entitlement thing issue. And and so if you take a look at, for example, Social Security, in 1935 when Social Security was introduced, the average retirement age was 65 and the average mortality was 68. So the average American got about three years of benefit. Today, uh, people are retiring at 70 and they're living on average to about 82. So that's 12 years. So that's almost a 400% increase in benefits. And let's face it, the piggy bank just isn't big enough. And then the other major entitlement we have is, is medical coverage. And so my solution for coming up with that is to develop the minimum benefit. Now, the minimum benefit is the only, um, we're going to call it a tax. It's really not a tax. It's the only benefit that gets directly paid to the citizen. And in my first uh, generation of this, I'm thinking about $2 for health care costs and a dollar for retirement so that, if we right-size our retirement plan to something that we can afford, so you'd have to take it from, say, 12 years of retirement benefits, I don't think we'd get quite to three years, but call it four or five years, there'll be a huge gap. And giving the citizen the ability to fund that gap is how you bring our entitlements back into the line. And the same thing goes to health care as opposed to, uh, just getting a a, um, uh, a handout for, for health care, you would have this savings going into your account, and then you'd have an option to buy health care. Now, if you're on the lower end of the economic ladder, you know, you would end up buying kind of government-sponsored health fund, but you'd have something to contribute to it. And, yeah, if you're a young individual, you know, it's um, health health insurance is fairly inexpensive so you might actually end up with a surplus in which case you could take take that benefit and put it back into your pocket so my thought is is as we come up with kind of these creative solutions for solving some of the bigger problems is to get feedback from you know you and your audience as to how you know how they thought that might work and if there's a better solution because certainly when you're looking what, what for kind of feedback have you gotten already charlie on the campaign trail i i, I mean uh, and you can tell me i don't know if you're a door-to-door knocker if you're holding a lot of events in in, in uh with with the conservative and republican groups but wherever you have been what kind of feedback have you gotten on this um you know i, th- I think everybody kind of has to sit back and, and think about it because it's a it's an out of the box type type solution, and I think as you as you vet it out, it, it makes a lot of sense financially. Um, you know, obviously we can't continue throwing on our thirty trillion dollar debt, um, or really bad things could happen. 
And so we got to come up with a way to kind of rein in the solutions and between that and the rolling budget process that we talked about last time and and the fair tax are are ways to bring our federal government back into um, the appropriate size. We're talking with Charlie Gaddis. He's a congressional candidate in District Number 7. You heard, or maybe you heard, I I was playing a clip of uh, Congressman Jordan uh, in the uh, committee hearing yesterday grilling Alejandro Mayorkas on the Disinformation Governance Board uh, and whether or not it's going to actually do anything about, you know, uh, uh, disinformation that has been spread on behalf of the government and in favor, favor of one particular party over the other. Um, can you see yourself getting involved in things like that if you make it to Congress, uh, Charlie? And, and what is your opinion of that newly announced disinformation board? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when you word something like disinformation, it's really just another word for censorship, right? We want to be able to censor opinions we don't like. And it's, quite frankly, it's in the face of the First Amendment and our, our free speech. And we've got to absolutely stop both letting industry censor us as well as the government. We're just going down a very dark hole way too fast. And so my solution, for particularly when it comes to freedom of speech, and we'll talk about social media because now this is brand new, that the government's actually going to censor us for God's sakes. But, but if we were talking about industry like Twitter now, of course, that's, yeah, I think Elon's probably resolved that issue, but... Well, time will tell. Time will tell. But, but you know, to me, the government was already censoring us through uh, the big tech uh, giants because I saw um, a donation board a couple of days ago, a graphic uh, that showed the number of uh, uh, individuals working for the social media giants, uh, the number of them who donated political funds, uh, you know, made campaign contributions to Democrats versus Republicans. And oh my goodness, it wasn't even, it wasn't even close. It's like 97, 98% of the donations all went to Democrats. Uh, Republicans have no favor whatsoever in big tech. So when big tech is canceling and censoring information, uh, and deciding what is disinformation and what isn't, it already was the government. They're working in, literally, they're working hand in hand with the, 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 uh, the liberal, uh, Democratic Party. Yeah, and I would absolutely be in favor of passing a law where if you're part of the public square and, you know, if you have a platform that's got free admission, you're part of the public square and you have, you know, Americans voicing their opinion that if you suppress that that speech, then your ability to operate within the United States would have to stop. And I, I would make the penalty from one day to 365 days. And, you know, leverage the court system to help stop the, basically the silencing of dissenting opinion. It just can't happen. There's so many items that have been called disinformation that later on we found out was actually the truth, right? Right. And, like, like the and, Biden and, laptop, which is why Jim Jordan brought it up yesterday to Mayorkas. It, absolutely. The, the, the laptop, you know, vaccinations, you name it. There's been a lot of things that have been labeled as disinformation and as you know, masks, the effectiveness of masks, that as we learn more, we find out that, no, it wasn't disinformation. And we can't be censoring dissenting opinion. I have no problem with filters because, let's face it, we're Americans. We get a little passionate sure. about our politics from time to time. So I could, I could see the, you know, wide open political discourse, let's just call it heated political discourse as kind of filters that you could turn on and turn off so that, you know, if you're in the social media 
environment. You know, you have some some moderation in there, but to to censor Americans because you don't agree, that's just something we can't tolerate. Well, I like your idea that if they do that, um, then you put them in the same kind of a timeout as they put people in when they post things they don't like. I got 30 days in the Facebook gulag because I posted a, a short video from Dr. Malone, who is the inventor of the mRNA technology that those um, vaccines, if you want to call them that, were, were based on. Uh, and they didn't like the content. They didn't like the fact that somebody was saying something different than what Dr. Fauci said, so I was um, uh, I was suspended for 30 days. And I like what you just said. If they play that kind of garbage, then there ought to be a rule that says they they cannot operate in the United States for 30 days. Put them on the same doggone uh, suspension scale, if you will, that they put people on when they don't when they see things that they disagree with. Absolutely, we have to protect our law. freedoms. Yeah, make it yep. a law. But if you get to Congress, Charlie, I hope that's one of your first proposals. Get that bill out there, get some co-sponsors and make it a law that if the uh, silencers of the people, or rather that the silencers of the people can also be silenced themselves, if that's going to be the uh, the type of approach that they take. Charlie Gaddis, Congressman, or excuse me, congressional candidate for uh, uh, District Number 7 coming up on Tuesday. Charlie, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for making your points clear and your platform as well. Good uh, innovative ideas as well, and I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you very much, Bob. Thank you. Charlie Gaddis joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. we got another candidate coming up here, but not for that race. The candidate we're going to talk to next is uh, in the race for the United States Senate seat. I talked to him last week, just two days after he got the endorsement of President Donald J. Trump. J.D. Vance will be back with us, and I'm very much looking forward to having another conversation with him. Okay, 955. Appreciate you joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. If you missed yesterday's interview with Dinesh D'Souza, about the movie 2,000 Mules. I highly recommend you go back to our podcast page and listen to it or go to alwayswrite.us and listen to it there. Dinesh has put together a tremendous video showing proof of the theft of the 2020 election. It's, it's, an, it's a feature-length film. Uh, you can see it in theaters on Monday and Wednesday only. Very limited release. All you got to do is go to your local listings, see the theater near you, find out if it's playing. If it is, then you buy your tickets at 2000mules.com, 2000mules.com, and you can see that. It will then be available next Saturday, not tomorrow, but next Saturday for in-home viewing. And uh, there's all kinds of information about how to sign up for that at 2000mules.com. Cannot recommend that highly enough. Uh, let's go to uh, Joanne in Twinsburg. Hi, Joanne. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. I left you a message last night that I hope you would talk about this Ministry of Truth thing. I could care less about the woman who's going to run it. We've got to stop it. <laughs> I mean, how can they? They can't do this. It's crazy. I mean, I could care less about this woman. They've got to put an end to this and now, and they got to start screaming. And we have well, to start screaming. Well, you're right. We we do, and and you know it's it's it, it's you're kind of right, kind of not. Um, first of all, the existence of this thing, you're exactly right on. It needs to go away. We cannot have a government agency deciding what's true and what isn't based on their own biases. That the second part, which may or may not be true, is just depends on. You know, it's not just depends on, but there is a factor in who is running it. If the person running it has already proven to be a partisan, somebody who is uh, lying on behalf of her her ide- ideology and her party. Um, then obviously that just compounds the problem. 
problem. If we had a great person there who has no history of bias one way or the other, who truly is looking at all of the facts and evaluating things, it might make it a little better, but it's still in its existence by itself. As I said, the Founding Fathers would be uh, probably outraged right now that we would think about limiting speech from the federal way, government way, perspective. Way, way, way too much power, Bob. Well, and, and, and you know, here and here's the thing. You know, you know why they did it the way they did it with oh, with Biden having uh, the Department of Homeland Security coming up with this board and running it that way because it's the only way they avoid uh, the violation of the First Amendment, which says Congress shall make no law regarding the freedom of speech. So they didn't go to the Congress. They didn't ask the legislature to do this. They did it themselves essentially by executive fiat or executive order. So this way they they skirt the the First Amendment. I mean, it almost seemed like, you know, as soon as my orca started getting hammered, he threw that out there to change the subject. And Ken Buck, frankly, called him Benedict Arnold. And it yeah. really made him mad, and I was glad to hear it. I was too, Joanne. I was too. And <laughs> you thank need you to so play much. that clip for the audience. <laughs> well, we'll try to grab that. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for the phone call. Listen, I, uh, I, uh, I don't know that it was just, uh, you know, something that was come up with very, very recently. I think this is something that has been in the works for a long time, and they were just deciding when to spring it. When do we spring it, spring the trap? And I think that the trigger was uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Now they have lost the ability to have a single lone left-wing voice by way of millions of left-wingers in one place, in Twitter, uh, giving Americans their news. And that's why they're screaming so loudly right now in the Democrat headquarters. They're screaming, you know, this is where people give their, get their news, and now their news is going to be challenged. And that's because it's not news. What they've been giving people in Twitter for so long is propaganda. Propaganda, left-wing propaganda. Patently false information that if it is indeed stood up to and against the truth and actual facts, it will fall. And they can't allow that to happen. So I think they have been building this ministry of truth that we kind of all call it under an Orwellian style of, because that's exactly what they had in, in, in uh, 1984. Um, but this mini ministry of truth, I think, is something they have been building for a long time and just waiting to decide when to spring it. And Elon Musk taking the echo chamber away from the left, where people get their quote-unquote news, uh, was enough of a reason for them to say, we're going to spring the trap. If Twitter isn't allowed now under Elon Musk to censor and silence dissent, that we believe to be disinformation, then we'll do it under the auspices of federal uh, regulations. It's, and it's it's frightening. It is absolutely frightening. All right, it's 10 o'clock. We're going to get our news. We're going to come back. We're going to have another go-round with J.D. Vance. He is the Trump-endorsed candidate in the Republican Senate primary on Tuesday. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France. 
on AM 1420. The Answer. Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The Answer and online at alwaysright.us. Make sure you check it for the headlines every day. Make sure you check it for the videos of the day. Make sure you check it for what did that idiot just say. It usually features Kamala Harris, but I think today it'll probably feature Joe Brandon uh, for his incoherence on the word kleptocracy. How about that? Uh, We'll get into that in a bit, but let's continue now as we get closer and closer. Counting today four days away. Don't count today, and it's three days away. The uh, 2022 Senate primary fight. It's been a long and bruising and grueling battle for so many of these candidates over the course of the last several months. It all comes to a head on Tuesday, and right now, I have no earthly idea how this thing is going to play out. It is a tight, tight three-way fight, it would appear, uh, at the very top between Josh Mandel, with whom we spoke yesterday, Mike Gibbons, with whom we will speak on Monday, and now we welcome J.D. Vance back to our program on AM 1420, The Answer. J.D., good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Thanks. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You uh, you ever sleep? You I'll tell you this. You have been everywhere, almost every place I turn on TV and radio. You are doing interviews. I give you credit. I give all of you guys credit. I don't. I can't imagine the grueling toll that a campaign like this takes on the body, uh, because you have to be you know on the road everywhere all of the time. Is does it beat you down at all? You know, no. I, I'm a pretty young guy. I'm having a good time. Uh, definitely there are days that are long and, and other days where you wish you could go to sleep a little bit earlier. But, no, man, I'm, I'm having a good time. And, and uh, you know, the adrenaline is high because the primary is May 3rd, and we got a lot of momentum. And it's, it's easy, I think, to get up and do this when you actually believe in this stuff but also feel like it's going well. So what you just said to me is, okay, Boomer. That's what you did. You just aged me. Because you're young. Not at all. Not to at me, all, <laughs> to me, what you guys are doing, uh, it, it sounds grueling, uh, and I give you credit seriously, and uh, uh, and and I appreciate it. All right, uh, so JD, let's talk a little bit more. Obviously, the last time we spoke, we spoke uh, at length about your uh, uh, past with President Trump. You obviously have Donald Trump Jr. has just been a warrior for you online. He is going after Josh Mandel with uh, with both barrels, seeing perhaps Josh as being your biggest threat here, but you don't only have a Trump endorsement from 45. You have uh, the full weight, it seems, of the Trump team and the MAGA team behind you. Uh, you think that's going to be the, the difference that pushes you over the top, J.D.? It's a huge thing. It's definitely very helpful. And you know, I'll say Don, Don's been helpful not just online, but he, he, he barnstormed with us. Uh, we did four events on Monday with Don Jr. I, know. And I don't know if you've ever seen him speak, Bob, but he, I mean, he's, he's like a hell of a... Of a, of a speaker on the campaign trail. He's really good on the stump. So we had a good time. But yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's very helpful. And look, I think Don Jr. sees this as a real battle between uh, not just me and Josh Mandel, but also whether we have a Republican Party that is strong on China. And of course, you know, one of the groups that's really behind Mandel is the Club for Growth, which is just hammering uh, the Trump team right now, and frankly, hammered Trump back in 2016 over the China issue. So I, I think that's a big part of why Don is so active on the in this race. You know, there's something that just popped up yesterday. Don Jr. was among many who tweeted this yesterday and shared it on uh, on uh, social media. There's a, a book, This Will Not Pass, uh, Trump, Biden, and the Battle for America's Future. It's been written by Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns and included in some of the highlights of this book that apparently is just coming out is some commentary from Josh Mandel. They don't quote him. They paraphrase him, and I want to share it with you and get your response to it. Uh, from the book, quote, 
Mandel acknowledged to Republicans in Washington that he was parroting absurd rhetoric in the primary campaign out of a desire to court Trump and his supporters, but that was simply what he believed it would take to win. In fact, even as he publicly mimicked Trump's incendiary rhetoric, Mandel would privately reach out to McConnell's top lieutenants to alert them each time one of his top rivals, J.D. Vance, criticized Washington Republicans, effectively trying to have it both ways with Trump and the GOP leaders he derided. It's been described by some as doublespeak. Um, How do you react to that? Well, first, I think it's true, because I've had people in the Republican leadership call and attack me for things that I've said. I wonder, you know, who, who reached out to them and told them in a town hall with 40 people that I was criticizing leadership? Of course, I don't hide from it. I have criticized leadership, but it's kind of weird how quick the turnaround can be sometimes. And I've always wondered, you know, who it was that was going and paddling. Uh, and, 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 of course, if it turns out it was Mandel. I've also had, you know, donors who I've, I've asked for resources because, of course, campaign's expensive. And they've told me, you know, uh, no, we're going to support Josh because when we meet with him, he tells us that he doesn't actually believe this stuff. But you say you actually do believe it. And, and so we're, we're going we're gonna to go with him because we think that, you know, the MAGA thing is just a little too radical for us. So, look, I buy it, and I think it suggests Mike Mandel's a little bit of a fraud. Uh, I know you have a positive relationship with him, Bob, but I think it's a guy who's been running for office since he was 12 years old. This is exactly what he, he, he is, is a guy who will say anything to get elected. And, Bob, you know I have changed my mind on the Trump thing, for example. But it's one thing to be seven different people over the course of a 10-year career, and it's another thing to just be honest about, I changed my mind, here's why I changed my mind. And I get the difference between, frankly, a career politician and somebody who's never run for office. Uh, to be clear, by the way, J.D. Vance, um, I have a relationship with Josh Mendel only insofar as that he has been running for office many, many times, and I've had many, many interviews with him. Uh, I have had a previous relationship also with Mike Gibbons because he ran for, for Senate in 2ighteen as well in a primary. Uh, you're new. That's the only reason I have a quote unquote and, relationship and, with and him. To be, and, and to be clear, Bob, I'm not accusing you guys of being buddies or anything like that. I'm just saying, I, I know, you know, he's, he's been a conservative in the state. That, that's that's what I mean. I'm not trying to say okay. that you guys are. Yeah, I, I just want to be clear that I I am truly. That's why I've not endorsed in this race. I am truly just trying to call balls and strikes and call out crap when I see crap, um, and ask Josh if he would consider us to be pals uh, when I wrote him for the last two months over the Gibbons thing and the campaign that he ran, which I found to be extremely disingenuous and exploitative of Gold Star moms and other veterans by claiming that Mike Gibbons attacked military service as saying it, uh, that sure. it wasn't work. I, I, I I think it was a trash campaign. I told Josh it was going to cost him conservative votes uh, and cost him a lot of support, and I meant it. Uh, so I, I call it the way I see it every step of the way. Uh, so I just want to be clear on that. Of course. And, and, yep. and, I want, and I want to be super clear on that with you, too, J.D., because you and I obviously had a really, really tough interview over, uh, about a week ago. Uh, it made the plain dealer as they, they talked about how relentless I was on you. I didn't think I was. I just thought I was really asking fair and legitimate questions that need to be answered from the guy who just got Donald Trump's endorsement. And in that vein, I, I need to ask you about the video that has kind of gone viral as well, well from Ohio. Well, can, I, can I address that? Can I address that real quick, Bob, Please, and, yeah, and, and ask your question? Look, I, I think, one, you know I've uh, always had a respectful conversation. Uh, I've never thought you've been unfair. I will say sometimes people on my staff will say, you know, Bob asks the tough questions. Why do you keep wanting to go on? And I think it's because I respect you, and more importantly, I, I respect your listeners. So I appreciate that you don't let me off easy, that you actually ask me tough questions. And by the way, Bob, uh, the Democrats are going to come for us in a big way in November. So I, I think it's important to actually test people. So. Uh, no hard feelings there. I didn't see the Cleveland Plain Dealer 
uh, story, but I, I think it's important to have a real conversation. Yeah, and, and I do too. And, and I really truly believe what you just said is true as well. Everything that we talk about here, uh, you know, you're going to hear ten times worse than that, uh, from the Democrats if you win this nomination. And you're going to be, have to yep. be ready for, for Tim Ryan and you're going to have to be ready for a very critical press, much more so than I'm doing with asking these questions. By the way, before I ask you about the, the video, Tim Ryan tweeted, uh, yesterday, maybe you saw it, I'm sure you saw it. Some fantastic news, folks. Even with the GOP spending over $80 million to keep Ohio red, we're still beating Trump-endorsed candidate J.D. Vance in the polls by one point. With your help, we'll be able to overcome the GOP's massive fundraising machine and win this race. Quick reaction to that? Uh, I didn't see that, but he's been, he's been repeating this poll from a Democrat pollster. It's over a year old. You know, when he has universal name ID because he's been in politics for 20 years, there is no way that if the election were held tomorrow, Tim Ryan would beat, beat me by a point. He knows that. Uh, but look, this is this is a game of politics. But look, Tim Ryan, we're going to beat him. Uh, we're going to have to work hard to beat him, but we're definitely going to beat him. We're talking with J.D. Vance, Senate candidate, maybe the front runner. Now he's got the Trump endorsement. It's still very tight at the top of different polls in terms of this GOP primary. So this Ohio gun owners video uh, came out, and I described it on my website as a nuclear bomb because it was intended to blow up your campaign. There's no two ways about it. Now, they don't say in this video from Ohio gun owners uh, who they are supporting, but they are basically saying J.D. Vance cannot be the, the Republican nominee. He can't be trusted. So I want to play just a very short portion of this for you. It's a 30-minute video. I'm going to play like 40 seconds of it, uh, and in which he talks a little bit more about your connections. You and I have talked about Peter Thiel in the past. Uh, I have not asked you about some of the other connections, and uh, I'm just going to play this clip real quick and get you to respond to it, and this one's about Eric Schmidt. J.D. Vance's business partner, Eric Schmidt, was a supporter, advisor, major and major donor to Obama's 2008 presidential campaign and was a member of Obama's transition advisory board. Schmidt remained close to the Obama presidency as personal friends and became a member of Obama's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology while simultaneously serving on Google's government relations team. J.D. Vance's business partner, Eric Schmidt, served as chairman of the Obama Department of Defense's Innovation Advisory Board. But here's a bad one. J.D. Vance's business partner, Eric Schmidt, is an investor in a particularly nasty company called The Groundwork which is created and run by a man named Michael Slaby. Slaby was the chief technology officer of Obama's 2008 campaign, the chief integration officer for his 2012 campaign, and his company worked for Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. All right, so we'll stop it there. Um, the obvious inference here goes back to your history and your connections with big tech, uh, with the financiers of big tech, some of the financiers of big tech, financing hedge funds, companies uh, like yours. Uh, can you tell me about Eric Schmidt's role in, in the support of your campaign and, and, and what, why, or why, why, why that is or is not something that voters should be concerned about? Well, it's a lie, right? I mean, this is the problem here is Eric Schmidt is not my business partner. Uh, Eric Schmidt and I have done business together in the past. Uh, that does not mean that I talked to Eric Schmidt. I mean, it's been, it's been years since I've talked to Eric Schmidt, probably at least a couple of years. Uh, it's not like I even talked to him frequently when we, we were, were doing business together. So the idea that somehow he's my business partner, like, I don't even, does that term have any meaning? Um, you know, look, Eric is a Democrat. He's a very liberal Democrat and he probably wouldn't speak to me today, uh, because of, uh, you know, now I've gotten into politics in a more direct way, not just donating candidates, but actually being a candidate myself. So one is just not true, right? 
the, the second thing is, you know, the, the, I haven't seen this video. I've heard about it from a couple of people. But, you know, one of the things it goes after is my connection to Peter Thiel, which you and I have talked about, Bob. Let me just rehash that for those who are worried. Peter Thiel was earlier to Donald Trump than me, and, and I even think earlier to Donald Trump than you were, Bob, uh, the only major Republican donor to go after big tech, the only major Republican donor to back Trump in 2016 and to do it early. And also, he resigned from the Facebook board a few months ago because of the fact that they were censoring conservatives. The other thing that I've heard about this video, again, we, we got asked about it like a couple times at our town halls yesterday, mm-hmm. is it tries to say that I'm connected to Les Wexner. I've never done business with, with Les Wexner. I've never received money from Les Wexner. I, he's never donated to my campaign. And by the way, you know, the, the inference is that Eric Schmidt has somehow supported my campaign. Again, he, he hasn't. That's insane. He never has. But you know who Les Wexner has supported? Josh Mandel. He was one of the Josh Mandel's major donors. So this idea that somehow I'm connected to a guy who never supported my campaign when they don't even mention that he supported Mandel's campaign multiple times makes me think it's a ridiculous hit job, which is exactly what it what, what it is. Uh, I don't I mean, look the Ohio gun owners. It's a group that appears to do some good work. Uh, obviously, I'm a very pro Second Amendment guy, but the founder of that group, or at least the leader of that group, is to me a political hack and a liar. And this video is ridiculous. That's the reason I asked the question. I wanted to get your reaction to it. Um, so you're saying Eric Schmidt is not one of the backers of your campaign that doesn't provide any funding or anything of that nature? Of course not, no. I w- okay. I, again, Bob, I accept <clears throat> donations from people uh, that believe in my values. And Eric Schmidt, again, yes, we did some business together. Uh, I've done business with a lot of people. I don't check their politics before I do business with somebody. Uh, but I've certainly never done business in the way that this guy suggested I have. And I've certainly never accepted donations uh, for my campaign from Eric Schmidt. Got it. I appreciate that. We're talking to J.D. Vance about uh, the race on Tuesday. Well, it comes to a head on Tuesday. The finish line is Tuesday. Uh, it's going to be uh, uh, a great relief to a lot of people. Um, J.D., let's talk just a couple of policies, uh, things going on in sure. the United States Senate right now. Can you tell me, and this is actually in the House Committee that Mayorkas was testifying yesterday, uh, about the uh, about the uh, dis- disinformation governance uh, uh, board that they are creating, um, I don't know about you, but I mean, it sounds an awful lot like, you know, what Orwell wrote about with the Ministry of Truth. The government is going to, now that Twitter won't be able to, or by, by way of the new owner, Elon Musk, doesn't want it to censor people's opinions if they are disagreed with by the, uh, uh, by the board. Now the government's going to do it itself. If they see disinformation as they deem it, or as Nina Jankowitz sees it, they're going to silence it. And, um, do you think this is what the founding fathers had in mind? Uh, certainly it's not. And uh, it, it's not just the existence of this Ministry of Truth, but it's also the person they put in charge of it. This is this is basically encapsulates what's totally wrong with our bureaucracy. Is you take people who have no real credentials or success in life, they do have some degrees from the right universities, at least the right universities according to our bureaucrats, and you put them in positions of incredible power. And then when they screw up and you challenge it, then they're going to say, well, this person is an, is an expert. Right, an expert based on absolutely nothing other than the fact that somebody granted them a degree. Uh, this is a major, major issue, Bob, because you know, when I go after the big tech companies and I say, look, we need to break these companies up. They're way too powerful. One of the things that good faith Republicans will say, well, you know, we're Republicans. We believe in free enterprise. You really want the government to go in and break these companies up. And I always say it, it's not just free enterprise that we're talking with here. You have bureaucrats who are pressuring these companies to censor disinformation by which they just mean conservative viewpoints. And, and you realize, and this sort of lays out the stakes here of what's happening 
where you have, whether it's Jim Stocky or the Ministry of Truth bureaucrat, telling these companies who to censor and what to do, it's basically government censorship accomplished through the back door. They could never do it through the front door because of the First Amendment, but somehow we let them do it, and, and this, this has to stop. More than election integrity, more than the, the southern border, more than anything else, if you do not get control over the censorship regime in this country, we are going to lose the nation. You know, you, you can't win an election. You can't enforce our borders if you can't even get your arguments out there. And this is why these technology folks are so dangerous and the bureaucrats are just making them even more dangerous. I could not agree more with that. Um, that's the reason I've been the National Communications Director for Citizens for Free Speech for the last two years. If our speech is censored, all is lost. Literally, we cannot fight back uh, against uh, you know the oppressive ideas of the federal government or of any authoritarian agency unless we have the ability to coordinate, communicate, and tell the truth to one another. And if they try to silence that at every turn, all is lost. Uh, and you're right. I think that trumps every other major issue that we have. Go ahead. And, and Bob, think about think about the last year and a half. We were told inflation was transitory. Okay, inflation is transitory, almost the definition of disinformation. Did we say let's censor the Biden administration? Let's censor the media that are parroting this talking point? No, we presented facts and evidence and arguments pushing against it. This is why free speech is so important. Is because the way that you get better as a country is not by shutting anybody up. It's by having a debate. J.D. Vance, give you last uh, 30 seconds here. I gave yesterday's last 30 to General Flynn with Josh because he was on with him. Uh, but I'm going to give you 30 seconds of your own here to make that last appeal. Why J.D. Vance over Josh Mandel, Mike Gibbons, and the rest of the crew uh, on Tuesday? You know, Bob, I, the, the best argument that I can give for myself, obviously I've been endorsed by President Trump, but I've been endorsed by Trump because I believe the things that I say, and I'm not just reading from a script. If you watch the debates, if you listen to some of the other candidates, it sometimes feels like they're reading lines from a script. I don't do that. I answer your questions, whether they're tough, tough questions or softballs. I'm going to keep on doing that because I want to be a conservative fighter in Washington, D.C. And you're not going to fight for our values if the only way you can advance conservatism is by using talking points and slogans. So I'm not going to do that. I haven't done that. I'm going to continue to fight for these issues, uh, but I'd love to have people support on May 3rd because we do need to win this race, and I think I'm the best guy to do it. J.D. Vance, thank you very much for coming back on. I, too, appreciate and salute your willingness to answer the tough questions. A lot of people would avoid tough interviewers. You don't, and uh, and that's certainly a, a check in the right column for me. I appreciate that. Thank you, J.D. Thanks, Bob. Take care. All right, there's J.D. Vance. Joining us again on AM 1420, The Answer. Same thing about Josh, by the way. I told Josh that, too. I was very critical of him. I I told him that uh, his campaign against Gibbons, saying that Gibbons slandered somehow uh, military service by saying Josh had no experience in the private sector. I told him I thought that was trash. It was a trash, desperate, uh, and disgusting campaign. And he kept coming back on. And I told him I appreciate that, too. I'm going to be harsh I'm always going to be fair, and if you are willing to answer my harsh but fair questions, uh, I'll keep putting you back on the uh, on the radio every time. Jane Timken would have been w- uh, welcome back on. I asked her very harsh questions. Mike DeWine, I asked very harsh but fair questions. They they won't come back on. That's because they're cowards. Uh, I will give Josh and JD both credit for doing uh, exactly that. the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny always right with bob france on am 
1420, The Answer. So uh, you want to hear something that's just going to inspire you? Want to hear something that's just going to fill you with just confidence that we are safe and we are secure and that the leadership of our country is is has got us protected in the palm of its hands? Do you really, you want to hear this? They seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah. Kleptocracy. The guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> but these are bad guys. <laughs> we are watching a cognitive breakdown in real time, day by day, play by play. And the worst, worse than hearing him, you need to see it. I've got video in front of me. You don't. This is radio. Sorry. But when he closes his eyes and you can just see the pain as he, he struggles mightily to remember what he's trying to say or to be able to read that word that was on the screen in front of him before he closed his eyes. You just see it. It's, it's, it's painful to watch. And I'm going to say something that I've said before and I, I don't regret. It's elder abuse. His wife should be ashamed of herself. So should everybody in the DNC and everybody who has pushed him to do this because they had no other choice. It's elder abuse. Watching this man shuffle along, have to be having to be led by the Easter Bunny or another aide off of the stage, hold him by the elbow, uh, and, and watching him struggle to remember things, to form coherent thoughts. It's a painful thing to watch. seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. <laughs> yeah. Kleptocracy. The guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> But these are bad guys. You know the thing. Let's bring in uh, Christina Hagen now to join us. She has been our regular uh, Friday commentator for quite some time now. She also does this uh, with the title of a member of the Ohio Elections Commission. Christina, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am well. Sorry about that. I Go listened ahead. To... No, you're, you're good. That's If that plays every time I say I'm well, maybe it's like a positive training thing. <laughs> but... Just thinking about uh, Biden, maybe we need to get some type of Pavlov uh, ringer or something that reminds him that he needs to be well to be running the most powerful country in the world. I mean, it's no wonder that Russia and China are looking at us and watching these press conferences and realizing that they have this huge window and gaping opportunity to seize power in a really evil way because we've created almost a vacancy of the White House. I mean, there is no... Um, intelligent authority operating in that space. Uh, we've got leaders that are concerned with wokeness um, while we're waiting. Um, we're seeing the reality of stagflation with the negative GDP, and we're waiting for a complete crash because we haven't even realized the negativity that has come from the Russia-Ukraine war and also the lockdowns happening as we speak in China. And we've got a guy standing at a podium that can't get three words out coherently. Uh, no. Very concerning. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I wonder what Xi Jinping and his team think when they see these things and what Putin thinks when he sees these things and what Kim Jong-un and what the Ayatollahs in in, uh, uh, in Iran think. I, I They have to be looking and saying the Americans are done. The Americans are toast. They have never been more vulnerable. They have no one in charge. And, and, and 
if they try to hide Biden for a few minutes and they send out Kamala, it's actually worse. He's got the excuse of age. He's got the excuse of age and mental and cognitive decline. She's just an idiot. And she goes out there and embarrasses us on a national stage, um, an international stage, rather. And I cannot imagine what planning is going on right now in all of those countries that I just mentioned, enemies of the United States, if they've ever been, if they've ever been afraid of an American response or ability to defend itself, um, I think those fears are gone now. Yeah, they, the best and swiftest thing they could do is stop making public appearances, um, allow for there to be some shred of curiosity, curiosity by the most evil, wicked leaders across the country that they might have some plan behind the scenes that they are not unleashing to the public, but obviously they leave no shadow of the doubt that we are immensely vulnerable um, yeah. at this point in time at this state, and they're exploiting it even further with the talks of relieving student debt, adding trillions upon trillions to our already um, overwhelming and burdened national debt. I, I don't know what more damage they can do in the time that they have their Bob, but it's truly concerning. Well, I was going to start by asking you about the Ministry of Truth, but let's let's do what you just did. Biden has already forgiven uh, billions in student loans for various reasons. They they are all, I won't even say justified, but it, it's more than just the left-wing socialist Marxist push to forgive all debt in order to trade uh, that favor for votes. Um, but in the end, the pseudo claims that this will help the economy. It'll give these people who don't have to pay back that money more money to invest in the economy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, let's talk about the fundamental fairness factor of that, Christina Hagan. Um, I, I don't know where you graduated from, and I'm going to assume you paid all of your debts off. I did. My wife did. Uh, this is the way that it works. If you buy a car, you also have to pay for that car over the course of a period of years. You sign on the dotted line, that means you're going to do it. It's the same way with a mortgage. It's the same way with a business loan. It's the same way with your education loan. From a fundamental fairness factor, all of us who have paid back our loans, how is this right that the, the, the young people today, and especially... Those taking out loans for higher education, meaning postgraduate, graduate school, law school, medical school, do they get their student loans also waived by the federal government? Where does it stop? Yeah, it's just further perversity on their part to try to steal, rob, and cheat elections by attempting to purchase those. And I think the good news is they've screwed everything up so bad that there is no gift. Um, there is nothing that they could wrap wrap in a ribbon that would make people forget all of the harms and direct implications they have caused to American families, the hardships, the inflation, the inability to go to the grocery store and walk out with a third of the goods for the same price that we did a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's disturbing. I've worked two to three jobs my entire life to pay off my private tuition that I chose to seek. You know, I am the first in my family to earn a college degree. Um, I was also the first to not be able to purchase a home in my 20s. Those were sacrifices that I and my husband made to have this thing called a higher education. Um, Now, you know, I can make arguments that dirty jobs pay much, much more. But the problem is these good, dirty jobs that many people like my husband and brothers have, even my husband after seeking and obtaining a higher education from a nice private you know, institution here that we love um, that does happen to put Christ's kingdom first, even with that diploma, um, even with the cost of that diploma, um, many people like him that are in the trades that never sought to take on that debt, that chose a more disciplined um, financial stewardship path will now bear the weight of the decision-making of their peers. And, you know, we've always said it's the, it's the grocer's son 
um, that's running the grocery line that will pay for somebody else's private education. And there is zero fairness. Um, in fact, it's continual abuse of people that have chose to opt out of perpetual indoctrination. And uh, Elon Musk actually made an, a wonderful and poignant comment on this the other day when he said, it is very clear what the problem is, and this is me paraphrasing out of memory, but it's very clear what the problem is when an 18-year-old can get a $100,000 loan for a higher education, but they can't get a $10,000 loan to start a business. Um, the indoctrination machine is strong, um, and they're willing to degrade the higher education diploma now because that's going to be the new high school diploma. That's not going to be sufficient for basic entry-level jobs. It's going to further cycle us into perpetual debt with that need of the of that third ring of government. And, of course, you know, who's going to be the savior as usual? The government will want to insert themselves and pay for that cost. So pretty soon, our democracy, our republic, is going to be unrecognizable as far as freedom, personal choice, and not having the debt of our brothers and sisters waged upon our families and future generations. Yeah. They're collapsing intentionally and purposely every day. Yeah, that's, that's very well said. And, you know, the other part about this, too, just from a practicality standpoint, What's the cutoff, right? I mean, is it is it if you graduated five years ago and have debt, your your debts will be forgiven? What if you graduated eight years ago? What about ten years ago? It took me about twelve to fourteen years. I can't remember exactly to pay off debt. Exactly how far back do we go? What's the cutoff point? And what if you missed that by a year? What if you paid off all of your loans and you graduated, say, 15 years ago and you just finished and you just mailed the last check last month and all of a sudden Biden says nobody has to pay their loans back? Do you get a check back? Do you get reparations, if you will, reimbursement? For, right? I mean, there's a practicality aspect here. They're going to have to figure out who exactly is entitled to getting their loans covered. There is zero celebration for good behavior. And, in fact, you will pay the penalty for having stewarded your own resources and worked to have that personal achievement of becoming debt-free. And now, against your will, you will become debt to the lender once more through this tyrannical government. That is exactly correct. So now what you just said, you could say freely and right now without any recourse, but um, give it a couple of months because now the Ministry of Truth has been created. This is It's being called the Disinformation Governance Board. It's being headed up by Nina Jankowitz, who has been proven to be a fountain of disinformation about some pretty important things, including the Biden laptop, a story which came out weeks before the 2020 presidential election, um, which she she helped cover up. She and others decided it was Russian disinformation attempted, attempting to uh, stop Joe Biden from winning. And what, in fact, they did by covering it up was they ensured that Joe Biden did win. Meanwhile, here we are, two year, or excuse me, a year and a half later, and all of those who said that it was misinformation are admitting, yeah, we were wrong. It was real. Uh, and it's legitimate, and whatever the fallout is now is going to be too late to stop uh, Biden from winning because he already won. So, Christina, the problem is, how can a disinformation governance board be trusted to truly ferret out what is disinformation or misinformation from what is real, given their bias? They can't, um, and they won't, and they'll use this as a weapon, as they have in the past. I mean, we saw the blue windbreakers, as you have mentioned in the past, come for parents who spoke up against the tyranny that was happening in their local school system against their very children. Um, if they don't like it, 
um, then it's misinformation. If it's disinformation, they're going to claim it's some type of Russian collusion, as Nina Jankowicz did over this laptop, which we are now seeing is just um, an unmasking of stupidity and maybe the only positive thing that Hunter Biden did right by mistakenly um, not abiding by the terms of which he left his personal materials behind at a shop and, you know, signing off on that he would come pick them up, but he was not diligent enough to even do that. You know, this computer shop wanted to do the right thing. They waited and waited for him to come get it, and he didn't. And then um, what they unearthed was human depravity, was the worst kinds of evil that exists when people like Joe Biden are in the White House, when their own children are abused to the point and degree of becoming um, addicts and just completely, completely um, unfathomable individuals. And you think for a moment, if any of the Trump children had anything to any degree like this, they would have been broadcasting across the board. You think about people like Jeff Bezos, um, the second richest person in the world, owning the Washington Post, and that was not a problem. Um, you know, over the last decade, the buying up of corporate leadership, the intentional weaving of indoctrination and lies into our education system, into every facet of our life to corrupt something as innocent as Disney for the purpose of forcing disinformation on young children and the entire American public. And we're supposed to believe that they have any shred of credibility that we should be trusting them with. And somebody had posted on my page and um, I thought it was really good. They said we should be combating misinformation. Um, yeah, the White House, the FBI, the CIA, the media, Fauci, but of course they're never going to check themselves. And the fact that they tried to come up with this um, form of governance the same week that Elon Musk purchased Twitter just showed how rocked they are and also how intentional this is not something that happened overnight. Um, they have long been trying to quash our constitutional First Amendment rights, which explicitly ban their their perceived authority to restrict our free speech in any way. And they think when they restrict our free speech, um, they're somehow protecting, or at least as they pretend to say, they're protecting people from abuse and cruelty and malice and some type of power structure. Whatever they've made up for the week and they've added the word justice to, whether it's speech justice, social justice, equity justice, it's going to continue to be a nonstop assault. So, you know, I don't know all of Elon Musk's background, you know, I hear that he has some interesting connections that I would not um, promote or condone. Um, But at the end of the day, this is a person that has purchased the sustaining of free speech in our country for a platform to be free and open and nothing alarms them more, which should alarm us about them and cause us to campaign like we've never campaigned before to get these people out of power. Congressional Democrats, by the way, want to haul Elon Musk in for questioning before committees. He hasn't done anything yet. He just bought the company, has instituted no changes whatsoever, but they want to get their mitts on him before he does anything, apparently to try to threaten, intimidate, and coerce him into, I don't know, allowing the echo chamber to continue on Twitter. I've only got about two minutes left here, Christina Hagan, but I do want to get your thoughts on this. Yours when they're in the classroom. You represent And the, the reason you're the teachers of the year is because you recognize that. They're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when they're in the classroom. They're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when they're in the, when they're in the classroom. Now, Christina, I don't know about you. 
but I never signed any forms indicating that I was giving up co-parenting or giving co-parenting rights to a teacher. I ask teachers to educate my children. It is up to me to raise them. They are not the government's children. They are not the teachers' union's children, and they never will be. Um, how chilling is that statement by, by Biden yesterday that your children are not your own. They belong to the teachers. Uh, they literally are the teachers as long as they're in a classroom. It's disgusting. It's tone deaf. Um, these people don't even remember the ramifications of such statements from McAuliffe, you know, not even a year ago that completely rocked an entire state and turned the elections red in a state that had, you know, historically been going blue. Um, they have no cognizance that they have no right or authority to directly govern our children. In fact, those of us who take the stewardship seriously recognize that we ourselves as their parents are second in line to God, and it's us alone that has been given the right and the authority to raise these children up, to discipline them, to teach them the, their morals and values and how to treat and love others and respect others. The sickness has pervaded education is the reason why my children are not in that atmosphere where the thought process of Biden, the, you know, the millions and billions, actually, of dollars that went out through the COVID, you know, so-called American Rescue Plan to relieve um, the needs of the COVID issues that were causing restrictions to put up plexiglass and to create a more sanitary environment, which were truly actually doubling as reopening the schools with more thorough topics on anti-racism, equity, environmental literacy, anti-bias, ethics studies, and the LGBTQ cultural competency agenda. These are the things that are costing us both financially in our country and also morally in our country. And if they think for a second that parents are not fully aware of their woke agenda rippling through everything that touches or has any interaction with our children and they think we're going to hand over authority over our children, they are sorely mistaken. And it was, you know, even a health-related decision where my child's HIPAA rights were violated that caused me to shift course immediately. We are no longer taking the crap of people who think that it is their job and their right to indoctrinate and to have authority over our children because we are the only ones who could possibly care about them day in and day out and about their future. Those, in the, those that are serving in the classroom, I'm going to tell you, I love, respect, and admire our teachers, but they are our children's teachers for the period of time that they are there. They do not own our children. They are not their children. They are their students, and that is the appropriate relationship for which they should move forward in, period. Very well, very well said. Can completely concur. Christina Hagan, uh, thank you so much for your time. We always appreciate hearing from you on every Friday you're available. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. All right, God bless, Bob. Thank you. 10.54, quick time out. Back with some calls on AM 1420, The Answer. Time for a call or two to get in here before we uh, get to the top of the hour. We're going to go to, how about Medina and Bruce? You're on AM 1420, The Answer, Always Right Radio. Bruce, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. Another great show. It was interesting to listen to J.D. Vance because, boy, there's a lot of things that have to be cleared up, you know, in my mind. But I wanted to uh, uh, quickly talk to you about uh, McMahon this weekend. Uh, the, Dr. Duke uh, Potesta is going to be there. He's an expert on what's going on with our children in the schools. 
uh, the the uh, current uh, uh, culture, climate, and everything that uh, is happening. And also, Mike Gibbons is going to be there for a short uh, speak. There'll be others that'll be there. And I also wanted to mention that McMahon had this great guest last weekend, but I just can't remember his name. Maybe you can help. <laughs> well, he must have come in after I left. <laughs> no, it was great, uh, a great uh, McMahon last weekend. Of course, this is a special McMahon because normally it just meets twice a month, second and fourth Saturday. But because of Dr. Duke uh, Festa coming in, uh, Lisa put on uh, put him on for uh, uh, this this Saturday. So yeah, yeah, uh, and it makes perfect sense. It's great. It's great to hear from Doctor Pesta. We had him on the air, of course, uh, on Wednesday, and I know he gave a speech Wednesday night. Another one uh, last night, I believe it was, and, uh, and then of course he got tomorrow. Correct. At McFan, right. so he's great, and then obviously having candidates in there to make their last minute appeal before Tuesday, uh, it's it's great work that Medina County Friends and Neighbors is doing. So, uh, Bruce, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words about uh, about last Saturday as well, and have a great event tomorrow. You take care. Eight thirty uh, at uh, um, Thirsty Cowboy in uh, in uh, Medina. So make sure that you uh, get out there for that. If you have not yet heard Doctor Pesta, by the way, if you missed him on my program you will be very, very impressed, and you'll learn a lot more about what's being done to our kids in our schools. All right, 11 o'clock. Let's get news now. We'll come back. We've got time for some other things, but uh, for including your phone calls. But we're going to talk with uh, John Adams, who is a Secretary of State candidate. He's going to join us tomorrow about his primary fight. He's trying to primary out uh, Frank LaRose, and there are a lot of conservatives who are supporting and backing him. We'll talk about that next with, with uh, John Adams on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway, seven minutes past 11 o'clock, Always Right Radio. Online at alwaysright.us. If you missed yesterday's interview with Dinesh D'Souza about stolen elections, specifically his movie 2000 Mules, which highlights the ballot harvesting ring. A mule, if you don't know, is kind of like what a drug mule would be, carrying illegal narcotics across the border. A ballot mule harvested ballots and then distributed them throughout numerous drop boxes in numerous key areas in the uh, battleground states, particularly in Georgia and in Arizona. It's all on video. It's all proven. The election was stolen. If you missed my interview with Dinesh, you're going to want to go to alwayswrite.us, or excuse me, alwayswrite.us and watch that video. It's right there, or excuse me, watch that uh, or listen to that audio, it's right under the radio highlight of the day section on the right side of the page, underneath the sound off button. 
You will also, by the way, when you get there, <clears throat> see Joe Brandon's um, speech yesterday to teachers in which he told teachers you are the parents of the children while they're in your classroom. They're not somebody else's children. They're yours. They're all of ours. It takes a village, of course, don't you know, to raise a child. In the leftist way of thinking, the government gets to make the decisions. I kind of disagree. You're going to want to check that video out as well as my response to it, uh, which I did yesterday in the monologue, kind of impromptu, but we posted it for you because a lot of people really appreciated it. So check all of that out at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. But wait until we're done with our conversation today to do so, because I don't want you to miss this conversation. Speaking of elections being stolen, uh, Secretary of State in Georgia uh, got into a huge clash with President Trump about that. Uh, it's one of the things he's going to have to answer for once the uh, expose of 2,000 mules is brought to light there in Georgia. Here in Ohio, there were no perceived problems or irregularities, according to the current Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, said we ran a great election. And as proof of it, Trump won by eight points, just like he did back in 2016. So we are all good here. Not everybody believes that, including our next guest, who is running to primary Frank LaRose out of the Ohio Secretary of State's office and make improvements to election integrity here in the state of Ohio. His name is John Adams. He joins me now on Always Right Radio. John, good morning. Good to have you. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on. John, for those who don't know... Give a little bit about your background. I know you're a SEAL, and for that I say thank you. You have my utmost respect for your service to this country and your ability to uh, uh, to to achieve that extraordinary rank or, or extraordinary position as a, as a United States Navy SEAL. Tell us more, though. Well, uh, pretty simple. I'm an average guy. I've been married to Tara you're for 30 years. You're a SEAL. You're not average. You're a SEAL. <laughs> I get that. But... Uh, all right. I've been married to Tara for 38 years. We have seven children. I'm a small business owner. It is now current fourth generation. My two sons are in the business, and thank goodness that they are. It allows me to do what I'm doing right now. I served on SEAL Team 3 from 1983 to 1987, did two deployments to uh, Southeast Asia. It's all during peacetime, uh, but it was one of those chapters in my life that was pretty darn fantastic. Uh, I, I served in the state house for eight years in the house. Six of those years were in leadership. And that's my past. And I'm running for Secretary of State because that election was stolen. Uh, I'll go on record and say it. And I wish 2,000 Mules was coming out a month earlier. My That's standing kind of, in this race would probably I, I be a little bit out a, better. I wish it had come out about a year and a half earlier. <laughs> we should have come out in December <laughs> of 2020, and then maybe we could have avoided the, uh, uh, you know, the, the the mess we're in right now. So, John, let's 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 go back a little bit here. You know, you say you are affirming something that Frank LaRose will not affirm, and that is that the election was stolen. Um, what was, if any at all, the problem with Ohio's election as a part of that overall national election theft? Well, let's start with the misconception that we have the gold standard in Ohio that all politicians are going to tell you uh, we had the most secure elections ever. But why does the Heritage Foundation put out a scorecard of all 50 states? It's the uh, uh, Election Integrity Scorecard. Just type in those three words. Takes you right to the site. Type in Ohio. And we are tied for 21 if we're the gold standard, Bob, 
21 is a far cry from the top of that uh, podium. So, as so your what, are, what are some State, of the problems that you see? And, and, and if it echoes uh, that scorecard, I don't know how they ranked things on that scorecard, John. But um, as you see it or as the scorecard sees it, tell us what was wrong with the Ohio election. All right. Let's start with voter a, vo- a photo ID. Got it. Uh, photo ID, you can walk in right now with an electric bill. There's seven different ways to present yourself when you walk in. Just by having a strict photo ID only to vote, you're going to raise yourself up on that heritage scorecard quite a bit. Let's talk about Zuckerbucks. Nobody that I've talked to in the last nine months believes that Zuckerbucks did not have an effect in our election. $7.5 million was spent in 44 counties. $1.3 million was taken in by the Secretary of State alone. And when I tell them that it was only to be used for COVID measures, they don't believe it. I would audit those dollars. I think Drop those, boxes I think everywhere. Those, I think those uh, dollars ought to be audited. I completely concur. <clears throat> Excuse me. I completely concur. Before you move on to the next item, um, go back yes. to photo ID. I, I've, I've been screaming this for 20 years on the radio, obviously, and <laughs> most conservatives are. Uh, it's ridiculous that you have to have a photo ID to, to buy, uh, you know, nose, nasal medication, uh, you know, anything that has, uh, uh, anything that has, uh, oh, for crying out loud, why am I prescription the drug? Over the yeah, counter. Or, yeah, uh, but it's a specific thing. Yeah, it's a specific, pseudoephedrine, pseudoephedrine. Anything that has pseudoephedrine, yeah. which can be used to make, uh, meth. Uh, you have to show an ID to, to be able to deal with your nasal congestion, but you don't have to have one to show that you are who you say you are when you choose the leaders of a city, state, and country. So I'm with you on that. But having said that, do we have any evidence that people um, without using photo ID voted as somebody else or cast illegal ballots because we don't have that photo ID system in place in Ohio? Uh, that's point number two. We don't look for fraud. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't. Uh, we, we don't look for fraud, and we don't prosecute fraud the way we should. Um, I, I, we need to look for fraud. We need to look for the uh, uh, the problems that we have in Hamilton County, Cuyahoga, or even Franklin, where we know that the that the voter rolls are not as accurate as they should be. Uh, I've talked to people that have worked the polls. I've talked to a lady that's out of Hamilton County that said that they did a seven-year project and it went nowhere. But the fact is, they would go to go to places and there's there's no voter there. There's no voter there. The voter rolls. We are told uh, right now we belong to Eric. They scrub our voter rolls. That's suspect for the simple fact that uh, it was a Pew Charitable Foundation pilot project with seed money from George Soros, that's a fact. I would cancel that contract first day in office and bring it in-house. We need to canvas, clean up our voter rolls, and let's look at our processes. Let's do a forensic audit. Let's say all we do is go along. We've just been going along for 20 years. Nothing to see here because Trump, Trump won in 2020. Nothing to see, but it's simply not true. We're talking with uh, John Adams, who is, of course, a former uh, uh, state uh, member of the state house, rather uh, sta- uh, uh, house representative. He is now running for secretary of state. Uh, when I talked to Frank LaRose about two weeks ago, 
he he said that the rolls are the best they've ever been, and he has had to fight a lot of people in order to clean up the voter rolls to get rid of people who have dece- who are deceased, get rid of people who are have moved from one district to another or moved out of state, and so on and so forth. He said the voter rolls are yeah. accurate. Your your <laughs> response generally is we got to look for fraud. Do you think he and we look for enough fraud in that regard now? No, we do not. Simply don't. No. And, and let let me let me what, put what, it to what's you your way. evidence of that so that we can understand. It's it's election officials that I've spoke to mm-hmm. that are that are poll managers that work the polls and they tell me incidences that are, that never go anywhere. Uh, they never go into the system. They never they never get prosecuted. It just doesn't go anywhere. They see it, they report it but it goes nowhere. Everybody I've talked to that, that works the polls over the last eight months, they just tell you, look, we got our problems, but nobody wants to address them. And I'm not going to listen to the politicians anymore because nothing gets fixed. The machines are vulnerable. That's a fact. But nobody's going to say that because you're a conspiracy theorist. Let's go back uh, to 2016 when we had high-profile congressmen, high-profile senators, and Hillary Clinton herself complain about the machines extensively. 2020 rolls around, it flips, and we're the conspiracy theorists? Come on. The machines are vulnerable, and there's good works going on all over this country by good people opening their mouth, doing the work, and there's a great uh, uh, project going on out in Nevada right now where – Five county commissioners were presented evidence. They didn't talk about fraud. All they did was come in with three people, including uh, Prashan. He's running for secretary of state out there. He walked in with two other gentlemen, presented evidence that the machines are vulnerable. County commissioners voted 5-0 unanimously that, we're gonna, that they can't dispute what they saw, and we're going to go to paper ballots and hand count in a population of 200,000 people. The machines are vulnerable, but we can't say that because of the blackout by the politicians uh, who say we have the gold standard. We don't. That's, that's clear. And by uh, the media and big tech that's put us in silos and silences. John Adams, candidate for Secretary of State, trying to primary out Frank LaRose. John, somebody asked me yesterday about paper ballots, um, and, and, and I kind of said – we kind of have them, don't we? And what I mean by that is this. At least in Lorraine County, where I voted, the machine that I cast my votes on, or I make my votes on, you know, the t- traditional touchscreen machines, um, when I'm done, I push print, and then underneath um, a plastic shield, um, a physical piece of paper is printed and deposited there that you can look at to make sure that what it says is what you voted for on the touchscreen and that that thus is paid. So somebody asked me yesterday and I said, well, isn't that a paper ballot? If there's any confusion or any allegations of fraud on the machines, don't we have those paper ballots to count? Um, and I even asked Frank LaRose about that uh, two weeks ago and he said, yes, we do hand recounts. We do make sure. Is he telling the truth? Well, let's, let's look at it this way. Yes and no. Okay. Uh, after every election, they randomly pick three precincts, and they run the uh, tally through the machine, match up the numbers with the machine, and that is considered an audit. Um, but when you talk to the tech people, when you talk to the people that understand the machines, 
that's not a true audit. All you're doing is matching up the numbers to make sure that uh, you had this many people go through and so on. Uh, everybody I've talked to uh, in groups across the United States, uh, the machines are vulnerable. I'm not a tech person. Uh, they say that you can walk in with an app and you can get that UL, URL mm-hmm. uh, address off of that machine. They don't have to be physically hooked to the internet. You don't but, even have to. You don't even have to walk in with the app, right? I mean, I, I thought that hackers are proven from remote locations. You can hack into Dominion machines in almost any state that you want. Correct. Now you got to be tech savvy to do that, which I'm not. But there sure as heck are I'm a lot not of either. people who are. Yeah, there are a lot of people who are, and if they and if they can do it, then obviously we can't say that we are wholly secure. So, given all of this, John Adams. Um, let me ask you this. You, you describe yourself as a constitutional conservative. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you're obviously a patriot to this country, served in the military, served in the state house, uh, and so on and so forth. Are you a Trump supporter? I am a Trump supporter. I was back in 2016. I was in 2020. And, you know, at the rally, I, I wrote down quotes. I came back the next day. I was at the rally. Came back the next day. Went through it again because I wanted to know what he, I wanted to write down what he said about elections and he said it twice which is a good message to the republicans uh restore the integrity of our elections we must have universal voter id citizens citizenship confirmations which we don't check for right now uh no more drop boxes no more private money which we've taken care of that in the budget one more uh one day voting paper ballots no mail-in ballots rigged and stolen republicans must get smart that's from 45 yet not one of those has been promoted or pushed by our current Secretary of State. Well, you read my mind. That was that's the reason I asked you if you were a Trump supporter because I know that's he has made this the focus of every rally that he has done in every state since you know he was you know jettisoned from office. He has he has Correct. said that it was rigged, it was stolen, yada yada yada. Yet he gave Frank LaRose his personal An endorsement. As he says it quote complete and total endorsement. What do you make of that, John Adams? <laughs> it is politics is sometimes strange bedfellows, and everybody knows the backstory to some degree that it was a quid pro quo. You endorse J.D. Vance because there was a huge blowback when he endorsed him. Yeah, there was, and by the conservative base, and I will endorse you. I I was told that a day and a half. Or when it first came out, rumor back, whatever. And I said, my guess is he probably will take the endorsement. Um, and I was right. Uh, that's who Frank Rose is. And he needs replaced because he doesn't endorse. Look, if we're a MAGA state, two elections in a row, um, the Secretary of State should be behind everything I just mentioned, that 45 mentioned, which has been my platform for eight months, and it's up to the voters. I want to see how big the silent majority is on Tuesday. Well, that's what we're going to find out. John Adams, John Adams, candidate for Secretary of State in the Republican primary against uh, against uh, uh, Frank LaRose. I really appreciate you coming on. You make a lot of very good points. I think a lot of them have been made just by Ohio voters who are very concerned, and they want to see all of these changes made that you're talking about as well. I'm still puzzled as to how President Trump could be so cavalier with something that has been the 
core issue for him since he was booted from Washington, and that's the reason is because he was stolen. The election was stolen that booted him from Washington. You'd think he would be all about election integrity and security and not about uh, some of the things that we see going on in this state. So I appreciate you bringing it to the people's attention, and I wish you the very best of luck on Tuesday, uh, John Adams. Sir, I thank you for having me on. You have a great weekend, and vote on Tuesday. God bless you. you. My, My pleasure. Thank you. All right, there you go. We had Frank LaRose on two weeks ago. There's his opponent, John Adams, who is pulling no punches. And I will tell you, I concur with what he said about voter ID. I concur with what he said about that quid pro quo and about how it makes President Trump look terrible, and it ought to make Frank LaRose look terrible as well. He sold his endorsement. Both of them did for political expediency. And I don't know if that's going to change your vote on Tuesday, but it's something you ought to think about. All right. That's it for the guests. We've been hammered today, as I told you we would be. Uh, we've had four guests in a row, and now we'll have an opportunity to hear from you. 216-901-0945, Dial them up. We'll get you up and on the radio just a few days away from deciding Ohio's primary victors. Right here on Always Right Radio. Eleven twenty-eight. Always Right Radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Let's uh, get to the phones again. We'll go to Akron this time. Tanya, you are on Always Right Radio. Hi, Tanya. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Can you hear me? I got you. Okay. Uh, good show. While you were talking to JD Vance, I was actually voting in Summit County, and uh, my advice is: everyone get every everybody get out and vote on Tuesday or before. Still a strong Republican show out so they'll know what that we're coming after them this year. I don't care who you vote for, just vote right now. The other thing is I think the I'm working at the polling station in my area on Tuesday to see what's going on. And what I've learned so far, things can happen. Oh make sure you check your ballot. Okay, don't make any mistakes. This election can be taken from us. So I just want to get back on and say we need to vote. Don't care. Get out there and do it. I voted. Some some people that I held my nose and voted for, and some people like Janet Foger, I voted proudly for. So, yeah, just, uh, just keep up the good work, Bob. We can fight, but we can also agree that... Uh, we're moving in the right direction because we have to do something. Can't sit on our butts any longer. You're you are right about that, Tanya. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And you're exactly right about getting out and doing it. And if you're worried about lines on Tuesday, I don't know how worried you have to be, really. I don't know what the turnout is going to be. But you can go today. You probably can go to your local board of elections tomorrow for a certain number of hours. And you can certainly do it Monday as well. Uh, do your voting early at the local board. And save yourself some of the hassle. And yes, if you've got to hold your nose to do something, usually that's more in the general election, in my opinion, because you've got some options here. 
Uh, but for me, in the general election, you know, there may be a lot of conservatives that I'm going to be trying to convince to hold their nose and vote for somebody to beat the Democrat uh, in a particular race, particularly in a Senate race. So uh, that's uh, uh, that's something that we have all had experience with in the past, no doubt about it. All right, let's. I held my nose three and a half years ago when I voted for Mike DeWine. I'll never do that again. But we can talk about it together. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Right back after the news. Always right radio. When the left's propaganda is the biggest threat to your health, get your booster of common sense and keep yourself sane. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 1138, we've got time for a few more phone calls here before we let uh, Bill O'Reilly take you to the top of the hour. And we are loaded up, so we're going to go through these as quickly as we can. Try to make your point quickly so that we can get some other people on. Charlie in Westlake is next. AM 1420, The Answer. Charlie, go. Hey, Bob. I'm sore. I was up on the bridge overpass on I-90 with my banner that said, J.D. Vance is a phony. And then, then I'm up there thinking, I go, four years ago, I was really campaigning for Christina Hagen. And this guy from San Francisco, Simi Valley, he came here with a bunch of money. He was a celebrity, and he won. His name was Gonzalez. And that's exactly what's happening again with J.D. Vance. His Silicon Valley hasn't been in town for years and years, and now he's coming back and saying he's one of us. He's not. It's a phony. Don't vote for anybody but him. Vote for uh, for the for the female chairman. Vote for anyone but him, please. That's all I have to say. All right, Charlie. Appreciate the point of view. Thank you. Let's move to Jerry in Brexville. Hi, Jerry. Go ahead. Bob, I think Brandon is starting all these com- new committees, like the Ministry of Truth, to take our attention off all the failures, like the border, inflation food shortages and oil. So I hope we don't fall for that and we don't forget the important things like that. And I kind of liked your interview with Vance. I think Vance really cares about us, and I think he considers us number one, and all these other things will be taken care of as they come about. But I, I, I do like Vance, and I'm not sure yet who I'm voting for. Oh, boy. Well, you know what? You are one of a very, very large group of people, my friend, and thank you for the call, Jerry. Uh, the latest survey, which shockingly showed um, Matt Dolan up at or near the top of the list, even though he has not been a part of this, you know, this, this, this battle at the top, this three-way battle, really since he got in. It's always been either Mandel, Gibbons, Vance, then for a while it was Gibbons, Mandel, Vance. Then it was Vance, Mandel, Gibbons. It's been that threesome. But regardless of that, then Matt Dolan shows up. But in that same poll, it shows a four-way fight at the top, but the biggest number was the number at the bottom of the poll, which was undecided. 33% of the people have said, uh, I just don't know yet. Like the caller just did. Jerry said, I liked what I heard from Vance. You know, he maybe won me over a little bit here. I think he does care. I think he is sincere. And maybe he is. But I'm still undecided. 
And there are Mandel voters who are undecided, or maybe previous Mandel voters who are undecided. Uh, Gibbons as well. So it's going to be a very, very interesting day on Tuesday because so many people are going into this thing just not sure of themselves. And I'm not saying that's good or bad or, or upside down. It doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, rather. But people aren't sure of themselves. I just hope you find whatever it takes to make up your mind uh, the right way and that you get out and do it. Do not, do not stay home and do nothing simply because you're not sure who to vote for. I've heard some people say, I just don't know what to do. I'm going to wait and see how it plays out. Then I'll vote for the winner in the, uh, in the general. I just think that's a terrible, terrible approach. You've got to go out there and be a part of the solution. We need to make sure that the most conservative person we can find wins and sits in that seat. Okay, TJ in Cleveland next. Hi, TJ, go ahead. Yeah, Bob, I agree with your last uh, 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 guest. There was a lot of fraud in Ohio. That would explain how the most one of the most liberal tards in Washington, uh, Sherrod Brown, got reelected in such a pro-Trump state. And it wasn't just the Democrats pulling shenanigans. It was our Republican establishment in the state, too. They obviously don't like Renacy. They put him in that spot to run against Brown, and then they did nothing nothing to support him. Whilst Brown was sucking in the Zucker bucks, they gave nothing to Renacy. So whoever you vote for Senate is your opinion. But I tell all my fellow Republicans, flood the polls and vote for Renacy for governor. Well, I'll tell you what, thank you very much uh, for the, the call, TJ. I'll tell you something that should encourage you if you uh, agree with, with TJ. And I do, by the way. I do. I hope everybody supports Jim Renacy for governor, and I hope he uh, uh, removes Mike DeWine uh, from from Columbus with extreme prejudice. And I hope people wise up to the charade and the fraud that is the hat. Uh, you've got to get Jim Renacy in there because Jim Renacy is the polar opposite of Mike DeWine. He is conservative on, on everything that DeWine is moderate and or uh, leftist on. And I just want to share this with you because it's something that is kind of exciting. And that is the fact that some a new poll, two polls actually here, uh, featured in the Ohio Press Network uh, by Jack Windsor yesterday. Uh, one of them shows a massive decline in support for DeWine and a massive increase for Jim Renacci in a Fox poll. Now, DeWine is still winning, but the trend here as we approach Tuesday cannot be ignored. Um, in the latest Fox News poll, DeWine at 43% still leads Renacy uh, at 24% and Blystone at 19% by a wide margin. But in March, it was 50% to 18 to 21. So since that time, in the, in the span of a month, DeWine has nosedived by seven full points. Renacy has gone up by six full points. And Blystone, again in irrelevancy, uh, has gone down two points. So that's the the Fox News poll. But as Jack Windsor wrote in the Ohio Press Network, Renacy's team has been doing its own inner internal polling, targeting not every voter, but likely Ohio primary voters. They commissioned over 950,000 calls to Ohio likely primary voters, received feedback from 390,000 of them. And of those who responded, which would be, mean they're more likely to vote, 39% Renacy, 34% DeWine. So let's find out if those internal numbers are good, if they're right, because uh, this state is in serious trouble if they're not. Thanks to everybody for uh, the great work today. Everybody, uh, including Johnny and especially Johnny, terrific job running the show. Thanks to all of my guests. Thanks to you for listening. I hope you have a safe weekend. Enjoy Remain free. And remember, let's go, Brandon. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.